Good afternoon, everyone. Shalom to all of you here in the sanctuary, as well as those of you who are tuning in online. So glad to have all of you here with us today. It's such a joy and privilege for the people of God to gather together, isn't it? Let us pray as we begin. Father God, we come before you today and Lord, we ask with you, Lord, that you will grant us new insights, new revelation as we look into your word today. That we, that we can take back a nugget that we can apply in our lives. So thank you once again for your Holy Spirit that will speak to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Today we continue with our journey with David. Once again, let's take a look at a map. And it is a different map that we are looking at today. Don't worry about the red arrows. Uh, um, I just want to show you where Ziklag is. I couldn't find a clearer map. So we, we left off two weeks ago at Mount Carmel. Okay, Mount Carmel, you see there. Mount Carmel, where David lost his temple because why? Nabal refused to provide for him food and provision when David asked for them. Then we have Abigail, the wife, came and, and provided David with the food and provision and sewed him down. And of course, we read later on that Nabal died and Abigail became his, David's wife. Then last week, Pastor Darren took us to the wilderness, I mean, not to the wilderness, to the land of Philistine, where David went to seek refuge with the Philistine king, Akish, in Gath. So we see Gath. Huh? And then later on, um, we see that David was given a town called Ziklag. Okay, so, and if this map is accurate and correct, then Ziklag was a town that was closest to the land of Judah. And, and we saw that David went out of his own interest, out of his own self-interest, went to seek refuge with the number one enemy of Israel, the Philistines. And we, we read in the stories in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles and Chronicles that the Philistine was always attacking Israel. I gather that, he was, that David was probably overwhelmed by the pursuit of Saul. And by going into the enemy's territory, David maybe felt a bit secure, nah? need some rest, huh? And then at the same time, he was slowly losing sight of God. And he was slowly losing sight of God's call upon his life as the king, as the next king of Israel. So he took things into his own hand and kind of walked out of God's will. As we learned last week, that if we conduct ourselves in self-interest, we may run into the same risk, the risk of losing sight of what God wants to do in our lives. And we need to be careful 
And however, as we see in the case of David, David, David was thinking about himself, but God was not done with him. God loves you and me enough that he don't want us to stay the way we are. Just like God loved David, had a wonderful plan for David, and didn't want to him to stay the way we are, the way he were. Then in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, we read that Akish the king gathered his army and Apex right on top there and was preparing them to war against Israel. And because of the violent objection of the commanders of the Philistine, Akish had to tell David, okay, David, you don't need to go to war against Israel. No doubt Ak Akish was, had confidence in David. And looking at the map, you see how far that they have to travel from Apex all the way to Ziklag. Eh? What do you think David must have felt then? Disappointed. And that he may have felt, why I wasted all this time traveling. But I reckon, I reckon that David, in his heart of hearts, was quite happy not to be able to go. And I'm sure it was a relief for his men as well. And personally, I think it was God's amazing grace and mercy on David's life to prevent David from making another mistake. That is to go, go war against his own people. And that's where we stopped last week. So let's turn our Bible now to 1 Samuel 30 and let's continue with this episode with David. It's a long chapter. We will read the first six verses for now. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. And when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a riot against the Negev and against Ziklag. They have overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Then when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the men who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Abinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nepal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in his God, in the Lord his God. You will stop me for now. Can you imagine the scene? This mighty man of war have gone far and wide fighting battles, winning battles after battles with David. And they have traveled far from Epic right up to Ziklag. And they were looking forward to see their families, their sons and their daughters coming to greet them. And, but that was not so. A burned city 
greeted them with no one in sight. It's just like coming back from an overseas trip or business trip. And then coming home, you found that your home that you were looking forward to was being raided, being robbed, or worse still, being burned down. And not sure whether your family is dead or alive. All these mighty men of war, if you imagine a little bit, huh? all these mighty men of war was weeping and crying away. They were all probably tired and hangry, huh? angry and hungry. They were probably hangry and tired. Then they blamed David for it. They must, David must have felt that he was such a failure, a failed leader. All his self-esteem and self-worth all were thrown out of the window all at the same time. Scripture recorded for us that he was greatly distressed. He thought that all was going well and then this had to happen. Been there before? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> so he thought all was well, but this had to happen. As we consider the topic of recovering from failure, allow me to share a quote from Winston Churchill, the British statesman during World War II. He said this, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Let, I, I was just thinking this. Let's all say this together. Let's all say this quote together. One, two, three. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Winston Churchill probably learned this from the story of David. Another popular quote that those of us who understand Chinese will be familiar. It says this, It means failure is the mother of success. In other words, failure can be and is a stepping stone to success. We don't stop there, but we move on. Failure is considered as part of our learning curve in life. The key verse to this whole episode of David is found in verse 6. It says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. At this point, David had no one else to turn to. All his men were as distressed as him. He knew he can only look to God. He can only turn to God. You may want to say the prodigal has returned. Or 
you may want to say, that he received wake-up call from God, a very loud one. And we all, and we all need that once in a while from God, now, a wake-up call, don't we? So we will look at the passage this way. Face the failure, fall forward, fulfilling God's purpose. And it, it, it is all in chapter 30. In the sequence, or you may like to call it steps to recovery. First of all, David had to face his failure boldly. It's the same idea like facing the music. Face the music. When you tell someone, hey you, face the music, what are you trying to say? Or someone say to you, face the music. You're trying to tell the person, come on, face the problem, face the scolding, bowling. Same idea. It is, it is silly not to face the issue. It would be silly to run away, to not to face it and run away. Because if you refuse to face the failure or the issue, I tell you what, there will be a song that they will sing to you. And guess what that song? I will follow you. I will follow you wherever you may go. Because if you run away with that failure and the issue at hand, it will be like a baggage on it's like a, your knapsack and it will follow you wherever you go. The only way to get rid of this failure is to face it boldly. It, the only way for this failure to not to sing this song to you is not to allow it to follow you, to boldly face it, address it, arrest it, and deal with it. Yes, painful as it may be. In all the weeping and all the crying and all the accusation and probably hurtful words that was hurled at David, David must have been deeply hurt. I'm sure some of us have been there before. As a leader, he had to brace himself up boldly and take them all in. As a leader, he knew that the bark stopped with him. It was not the time to point finger. He had to admit and bear all the wrong. I, I reckon it is part all part of his training as a leader. So in similar ways, we need to do these three things. Brace up, blame not, and bear all. Brace up. And he had to, we have to brace up and come to terms with the failure. There's no way of going back to correct. There's no way that David could go back to the time in chapter 27, uh, as you call it here, chapter 27, before he went to approach Akish and reverse his decision. There's no way. And you and I know that there is no way that we can go back in time and redo what we should not have done. No way. Of course, we, we, you may say we can, we can sometimes cry over spilled milk, uh, you call it. We, we can cry over it. It's part of the grieving process, part of the letting go process. But after crying, 
when we come to ourselves, brace up. Don't linger in that failure. Don't point a finger at others. And I would like to add, don't have pity party. Invite me when you have one. Then, of course, we don't point a finger at others or even ourselves. So blame not. There's no need to blame others. There's no need to blame other people. You and I know that when things happen, we like to shift the blame. It's all your fault. Lah. It's all because of this, all because of that. It's always somebody's fault when a mistake is made. There's a book, you know, it's called A Mistake is Made, but it's not my fault. Have you said that before? So consider honestly where we have gone wrong. We need to take ownership and responsibility on the decision that we have made. David did not blame others. He could have. He could have said that it was all Akish fault that asked him to go to APEC. It was then he could have turned to his men and said, it's all your fault. You guys agree to follow me. And now this happened, you blame me. My family is also missing, you know. He could have said that. He could have wallowed in self-pity and blamed himself. He knew that it was not the time to argue who was right or wrong. He chose not to blame and bear all the wrong himself. We need to be humble. We need to admit our wrong. And we need to bear the consequences. It's not a weakness. Rather, <coughs> I believe it is a great strength for a leader to admit and bear the wrong. Not a time to save face. We are human and we all make mistakes and we know that. We were told in scripture that God opposed the proud but gave grace to the humble. The inventor Einstein said this, a man who have never made a mistake, never tried anything new. Of course he was talking about his invention and his experiments. But it is true that we learn new lessons every day through our many trials and errors. And we fall and we stumble many times as well. In facing our failures and mistakes, in the humility of heart, we are to fall forward into the hands of God. Not to turn around and run away carrying the pain with us. So we need to fall forward. Fall forward before the throne of grace and mercy. We fall forward into the arms of our loving God. Our God who loves us and is merciful and he will hear us. Didn't we just pray, in, our, in your mercy, hear our prayers. David, in one of his psalms, said this. In Psalms 40, he said, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. 
for evils have encompassed me beyond numbers. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart failed me. How true, isn't it? Then years later, after he had become a king, David made another mistake in his life, and he said to his prophet this. It is very interesting when I read it. Huh? He said in First Chronicles 21, he said to his he said to get his prophet. He says, "I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of God, for His mercy is very great. For do not let me fall into the hand of men." Why do you think David said that? By then, David had tasted many times God's mercy and God's forgiveness, and has also learned that man is not so forgiving and not so merciful. And learning from David, we have to fall forward before the throne of mercy and grace. Don't let the what if and, and all that to complicate, to complicate matters. What if, if only they will only complicate matters. Just come before the Lord as we are. Discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned. And the Lord who knows us and loves us knows the intention of our heart. Understand us more than we know ourselves very often. And we can bear our deep feelings to God who sees all and knows all. Then as we fall forward, we need to repent from our wrong. The late Gordon Lindsay, the founder of Christ for the Nation, said this in his commentary in this chapter. He said this, while God often, while God often does, in his great mercy, save people from their follies, it is necessary from the supplant, that is you and me, to show true repentance of his deeds and not merely remorse because he is suffering as the result of them. When we come before God in true repentance, we lay down. We tell God, God, I'm really, really sorry. And tell the Lord how sorry you are. It is not merely, it is when we sincerely repent that we can receive forgiveness from God. We have just heard the liturgy we have just heard the liturgy which is taken from 1 John 1 that it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. The key is, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the only way that we can get reconciled with God. God knew that deep in the heart, David knew deep in the heart this great truth as he strengthened himself in God. That's the only way to fall forward into the arms of God and repent. He must have repented of his self-interest. He must have poured out his heart 
and anguish before God and maybe blame himself. God, why have I, why, why did I do that? And he knew that his help comes from the Lord and God alone. And he was reconciled to God. It is the only way to receive God's forgiveness. And after we have received God's forgiveness, then we can heal God again. Okay, let's continue reading to the end of the chapter and see the entirety of this whole episode. Verse 7. And David said to Abitir, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abitir brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Basor, where those who were left behind stayed. So David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Basor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. And he gave them water to drink, and they gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisin. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drank water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. And we had a riot against Negev of the Cherahites, and against, and against that which belonged to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you to this band. And when David had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistine and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped, except 400 men who mounted camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. And David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David and who had been left in the brook Basol. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And David came near to the people who greeted him. Then all the wicked and worthless fellow among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, 
we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except each man may, take, may lead away his wife and children and depart. And David said, You shall not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this manner? For as his share is, who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be, who stays by the baggage. They all sh they share alike. And he made this a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Then David went to Ziklag, and he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Okay, now it's going to get difficult. Huh? It was those in battle, those around of the Negev in Jetia, Arotia in Siphon, in Ashtamor, in Rachel, the city of Jeremites, in the city of Canaanites, in Hamon, in Baroshan in Etesh, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Let's look at another map and see how far they travel. And Ziklag was actually not very far from the Amalekites, as you can tell. And you see all the little circle there is all the friends of, of David that he went to share the spoil with. So we see, after David has strengthened himself in the Lord, he sprang up again and inquired of the Lord before he took action. So he consulted the Lord using the effort, the official way of seeking God's direction. And God instructed him to pursue, which David did, and came back victorious, rescuing every loved one as well as bringing back lots of loots, livestock, and many other provisions. So God has given him more than sufficient. And God even provided someone to lead them to the band of Amalekites in the person of the Egyptian slave. So you see God's amazing grace at work. Or God's, you want to say, divine coincidence or divine appointments. David was once again, was once again back in God's service, ready to fulfill God's promises. In his book, Jean Gat said this. He says, David's action reflected the man he was once. He once was a man after God's heart. The Lord gave him permission to pursue the Amalekites. And when he did, he rescued every kidnapped loved one alive. And other marvelous manifest, another mani marvelous manifestation of God's grace in David's life. God restored him. And once again, he began walking with the Lord. So we see David at this point. He was all ready to press forward. In our relationship with the Lord, when we get restored, we must be ready to press forward. Pressing forward always reminds me of a verse 
in Philippians that says, Paul, Paul always, when you read Paul, Paul's letters, he liked to liken the Christian walk to like a race, a marathon. And he said this to the Philippines. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, on my, own, made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in my life. That is the encouragement that Paul gave us. Then beginning of this year, at our prayer and praise meeting, Brother Jackson shared with us from Isaiah 43 that says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If we don't repent of what went wrong, we will not see the way in the wilderness. We will not see the new thing that God is wanting to do in our lives. And we often hear the phrase, let go and let God. I'm sure you say that. But allow me to add another two words. Let go and let God and let's go. Let's tell the Lord, let's go, God. Let's go forward. Let's go and do the new thing together. Let's tell the Lord and go in the way that God so desires. We saw that when David returned to his base camp, Ziklag, victorious and quite a changed person, he regrouped, he regrouped his folks. He united the people. And he went to reconnect with his friends by sharing the spoil with them, all ready to pursue God's purposes in life, in his life, and fulfill his call as the next king of Israel. So what are we to do? Pursue God's purposes. Like David, God has a purpose for you and me here on earth as we journey through this life. Everyone is different. Of course, you know that. And the Apostle Paul is a letter to the Philippians again, encouraging them, encouraging us to live out our life in the fear of God. And he said this. He said, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So for his good pleasure. Then in Ephesians, he told the Ephesian Christian about walking in obedience before God. He said, he reminded them, for we are his workmanship, you and me, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. In other words, each one of us is God's masterpiece. Created to fulfill God's unique purpose in your life, our destiny, for His good pleasure. Yes, we fall down along the way. We make wrong decisions. We make wrong choices. 
But, the, but I remember one author said this, that God's shoulder is broad enough to accommodate, to accommodate our wrong turnings and wrong decisions. Just fall into His loving hand. Ultimately, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of the Most High God, we should seek to honour and glorify His name in all that we do, don't we? So in times of our wrong turns and wrong decisions, remember the steps to recovery. Face the failure boldly. Fall forward into the arms of God, into His throne of grace and mercy. Then, seek to fulfill God's purposes with the help of the Holy Spirit as we trust and obey Him. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. We humbly come before you this evening. We think of the many wrongs that we have done. <coughs> we just want to say, God, we come as we are. It's no longer the what is. It's no longer the if only. But as we are. In this season of Lent, as we take time to reflect our own life, Let's lay them all down before the Lord and say, Lord, won't you help me? Won't you lift me up again? Because we desire to seek your face. We desire to honour you and glorify you in all that we do. So help us, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.